Hey, I'm Pastor Sean. I want to thank you so much for checking out our, our website and our sermons online. And uh, we are so glad you're making use of these for your spiritual growth. And, and, uh, but we do want to encourage you. We, we believe that uh, our online ministry, our online sermons are a supplement to the local church. And so we really hope that uh, you and the community you live in will find a local church, a local church that believes the Bible, teaches the Bible regularly, and applies it to your life. And so uh, if you live in our community, we'd love to have you visit here in Yorktown. We're in 101 Village Avenue. And uh, we have three service times, 8, 9.30, and 11. And so if you don't have a home church, I hope you'll give us a try at one of our service times. We're beginning a new six-week series this fall, uh, going through the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things that I was really convicted about recently as I read through the Gospels is, is how much time Jesus spent in prayer. So here's the Son of God and spent hours and hours each day uh, seeking the will of His Heavenly Father, communing with His Heavenly Father. And, and so I wanted to take us as a church through uh, the Lord's Prayer where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. I want us to be a people that recognize both prayer to be the fuel of the gospel and an opportunity to commune and be in relationship with our Heavenly Father. So I, pray, I hope that you'll join us for this six-week series, When You Pray. Good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you this morning. Do me a favor, get your Bibles out. We're going to jump in this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 9. I hope that you're in a small group. Uh, If you're not, it's not too late. I would encourage you to go to the uh, welcome desk, get a small group menu, join up for the next couple weeks and join in, all right? And so I want to highlight something. Get your bulletin out, okay? Take some notes. It's a great way to prepare for your small group. But we have included a prayer guide, okay? And so we're obviously doing the Lord's Prayer uh, for the next five weeks now. And uh, and so what we want to do for the month of October is I want to give us as a church, uh, courtesy of our prayer team, a guided prayer map, all right? And so this is very simple, 30 days of prayer. Each day, we're all, as a church, going to be praying in unity for the same thing. Of course, you can branch your prayers out and other things if you wish. But uh, each day for the next 30 days, as a, as a church, uh, we are going to be praying for our local church. And specifically, uh, each day, we're going to highlight an area of prayer, okay? Everybody got this? I want to make sure you have it, all right? Make sure you have this. Take this with you, okay? Use this. Last week, we talked about, you know, where Jesus said, go into your bedroom, shut the door. We talked a little bit about quiet time, okay? Make that a part of your time with the Lord. And, and as a church, let's pray in unity together for the gospel to go forward through the local church, okay? And so that's really what this highlights, a great opportunity for us as a congregation to pray together, okay? Get your note sheet out. This helps prepare you for your uh, small group this week. And uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and we're kind of diving in now to the prayer that Jesus used uh, teaching. He actually taught it twice. He taught it in the Sermon on the Mount. And then in Luke chapter 11, the disciples ask Jesus, hey, teach us to pray. And he uses the same framework to teach his disciples to pray. I remember a couple of years ago, um, after a hard rainstorm, I looked up at my son's ceiling and there was a big wet spot, right, on the ceiling in the sheetrock. And when that happens, you automatically know, man, I've got water problems above the ceiling. And so um, I, uh, and so I, I, and so his room is located in such a place that I realized the leak was coming from the roof and on one of the pipe vent pipes around the roof. 
And so I belly crawled into my attic all the way to the sharpest point in the roof. And I, I put a little bucket there uh, until, until I could get the roof fixed, right, to make sure this didn't happen again. I didn't ruin any more sheetrock. And, and uh, if you've ever belly crawled to the furthest point in your attic, you realize this is not something you do on a regular basis, right? The only time you want to be belly crawling in the corner of your attic across the rafters is when you got a problem, generally speaking, right? It's not like, hey, honey, we got a free Saturday. Let's belly crawl in the corner of our attic, you know? It's, it's a problem thing, usually, when you're there. And, and I think some of us kind of use prayer in the same manner, right? Like, man, I've got a problem. I better pray. And I think when we do that, and certainly we, we should pray when we have challenges and pray when we have problems, but if that's the only use of your prayer time, then you're missing what I tried to lay out last week, which is, I think, the grander purpose of prayer. You know, when Jesus said, when you pray, the expectation is that we're praying, that it's really in the context of relationship with our God. It's not so much changing your circumstances, although sometimes the Lord works in a mysterious way. It's not so much changing God's mind, but it's rather being in the context of relationship with our Creator. And it really should wow us that God, the creator of the universe, desires to be in relationship with you and I. Isn't that amazing, right? And so my hope over the next couple of weeks as we look at the theology of prayer is that you can grow in your, in your discipline of prayer and, and, and your proper understanding of the scriptures as we continue to unpack the Lord's Prayer together. So look at this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus says, now it gets into this very specific prayer. A lot of you all know this, I'm sure. Many of you have it memorized, probably you know, one of the most famous passages of Scripture. Matthew 6, 9, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, only a preacher can do a whole sermon on eight words, right? But here we go, and we're going to unpack this this morning. The first thing I want you to see here, and we kind of hinted at this last week, is the idea that, that prayer is in the context of an intimate familial address, right? Jesus starts with our Father, and it's, it's hard for me to even... Uh, communicate well to you how, how in ancient Near Eastern culture, how this would be, um, and the address of a deity would be really worldview shifting. I mean, the, the, the Old Testament, we don't see a lot of address as our father yet. This is often how Christ prays and it's how he teaches us to pray. And this is such a tremendous shift for these disciples. This, this family address, Jesus is teaching us that our prayer is in the context of family intimacy. Some places in scripture, the word Abba is used, literally the word daddy. We get to enter into the presence of the creator God and we get to say daddy. And there's closeness and there's intimacy. And I think sometimes in my life, man, we, you know, you get, you feel like God is distant. Why is he not speaking? And just the fact that we can enter his presence and say, Daddy, man, I have a need. He cares for you and he cares for me. God is not a distant God. If you're here this morning, you think, man, God has somehow forgotten me. It's right in our prayers that we're reminded that God has not forgotten us. You get to crawl in an intimate relationship with him in his lap, if you will, and say, Daddy, he cares for you. 
and your concerns and, and this prayer reflects on all that is good of our God and his provisions. Now, when we use the word father, there's a couple things that come to mind. Let's, let's, let's park on the word father for a minute. When we use the word father, you know, we, we think of the idea that our father, our heavenly father is good. He's good. And he's, it's not just like kind of good the way you and I are good. He's perfectly good. Like all that he does is good. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 7 teaching on similar idea of prayer in Matthew 7 verse 11. He says, if, then, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I mean, this is, a, this is a great illustration, right? Jesus is saying, you know, you're sinners, and as broken sinners, you still know how to give good gifts to your children, right? I mean, as a parent, like, you, there's times where I, I kind of feel bad, I guess, or I feel maybe a twinge of regret that I can't give my kids more. Like, you just want to lavish them with good things, right? And, and man, I, you know, maybe you wish you made more money or whatever, but, man, you just love to give your kids. And, and Jesus is using this as an illustration. If you, as a sinner, know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly Father, who is without sin, who is perfect, know how to give you a good gift? Now, you may be sitting here like, well, what about when I don't get the answer I want? You know, there's times I've prayed for something that I think in the context of perfect goodness would be something that God would want to answer. And it's either, it feels like it's a no or it feels like it's a, a wait a while. Like what happens when there's a dream in your heart? And that dream hasn't found its fulfillment or there's a position that you desire and that position hasn't been given or there's a pay increase that you've been praying for so that you can do more maybe even for the kingdom and it hasn't happened yet or there's a broken relationship in your life with a family member you've been praying for restoration in fact even as we sang the song restoration maybe that person came to your mind like man I I long for that restoration or or maybe maybe there's a hurting marriage and you've been praying Lord I need this marriage to be healed and you've pleaded and you've asked and you've fasted but nothing seems to change. Where in the world is God in that moment? Right? You ever been there? Sure, I have too, right? You wonder, man. But, but with, this is where I think there's an element, of course, to faith, but there's also an element to see, understanding that our Heavenly Father sees and knows things we don't even see and know yet. God is a good Heavenly Father. He, he knows how to give better gifts than we do. He knows more what we need than you need, no, and no, and more than no, what I need than I know about myself. Here's the deal, you ready? This is the truth that we have to settle into our hearts. The greatest gift that God can give us is to mold us more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the greatest gift. Sin has marred us and broken us, and we don't even always know what we need. And it's as we cling more to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is, then more and more we are being molded into our original per intended purpose by God. 
And this cuts to the core of our faith. This cuts to the core of our understanding of the gospel. That God has already given us his very, very best. His one and only son, Jesus Christ. And sometimes in these answers to prayer or lack of answers and from our perspective or even no, okay, he is making as he's having us in those moments cling more and more to Christ and shaping us more and more into the image of Christ, which then has an eternal impact. And sometimes, man, we just want the ease of the next day when God has a broader timeline in mind God has an eternal perspective of how he's molding and he's shaping us. And our Father is a good God, and he gives us the best gifts, including his Son, Jesus Christ, above all else. The third thing that this idea of Father teaches us about prayer is the language, the family language of Father, is that God will never leave us alone. We're never by ourselves. No matter the difficulty, no matter the circumstance, you're Your heavenly Father is is always with you. You can always call to him. In the most trying of times, your heavenly Father is there. I mean, maybe you feel like this from time to time. I know I do. Like, man, I don't, you ever feel like, well, I don't really have any friends, right? You feel, it's it's amazing in, 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 the world of social media, how loneliness seems to be growing in our culture. Isn't that fascinating, right? But you're never alone. As a follower of Christ, man, we have contact through Christ with our heavenly Father. We're never alone. He's always with us. We can always talk to him at any moment. The idea of Father. Our heavenly Father has all resources, The idea of a father, he has all resources. All his resources are available to us through him. Again, his timing may be different than what we hope, but our our heavenly father has no lack of resources. When you've come to the end of yourself, God is not at the end of himself. He resources us as we need in his timing as he molds us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. A father's relationship, letter E, demands obedience. A father's relationship demands obedience. Yes, we pray our father, but in this family relationship, it dishonors our father to do the opposite of what he's commanded for us to do. Should, the idea of, 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 of approaching our creator as father, as intimate, it should, make, it should grieve us when we think about our sin, when we think about the good character of God, making, we should come with an understanding that his ways and his commands are holy and they're right and they're good. And to disobey him is to ignore his goodness and to ignore his protection and to ignore his good gifts for us. Let me make this practical for a minute. Let me make this practical for a minute. A couple weeks ago when I preached about tithing, like if you walked out and you go, well, that's not really for me. Did you ever consider that giving of a tithe is actually for your good? It's teaching you something about God. It's teaching you 
particular points of dependence. It's teaching you. It's making sure your heart is not gripped by greed. I mean, greed's one of those things we all know is bad, but it's really kind of hard to tell if I'm greedy or not, right? But maybe that's one of those things. It's a good gift from our heart. It's, it's one of those things you don't even have to pray about, actually. I'm going to go home and pray about that. Do you ever consider when the, in the area of sexual purity that, that God has called us to sexual purity and it's not because he's demanding and mean, but he's like, I know what's best for you. I know what's good for you. I want you to be under the umbrella of my protection and goodness. And so if we know our heavenly father, we, we know obedience and sobriety Scriptures tell us to be filled with the, whole, the right kind of spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? And so some of us, man, we're, 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 we're masking our hurts and our pains, and God's not bringing restoration because we're not clinging to Christ, and rather we're clinging to alcohol or drugs and potentially even prescription medications. Why? Because we're being filled with the wrong spirit. Like sobriety and being filled with the joy of the Lord is God's gift to us. Did we ever consider that the trial that we're going through right now is something that God is using to shape us more and more into the image of Christ, that we know the goodness of God. The spouse that you're with right now, that you, you've been fussing with all week, right? And you, everybody put their church face on this morning, came in looking good, but, but did you ever consider, like, maybe that spouse is who God has gifted you with to mold you into the image of Jesus Christ. And you don't need anyone else. That person is a gift to you to make you more like Jesus. Imagine that. And so our Father, inside the relational prayer, demands obedience to his word because his word is good. His word puts us under the umbrella of his protection and blessing and purposes. And so our father is an intimate, loving, relational, close word. And so when we pray, man, we have this intimate relationship with the creator God. And now Jesus does something, you know, he shifts us radically. So it's, yes, it's daddy, it's our father. And then he gives us the opposite riverbank so that we're careful that when we pray, we don't, do, we don't just think that we can come into the presence of God any old way that we want. He goes to the opposite extreme. He says, our father in heaven. It reminds us of his distance. And by the way, in heaven is, is not like God's detached dwelling place. All right. It gives us kind of this idea of a couple things that I want to pack here this morning. Our Father in heaven talks about the supremacy and the sovereignty of God. So, yes, he's our Father, but man, he is in heaven. He is not like us. God is God, and you and I are not. He is of supreme and of sovereign rule over the universe. When we enter his presence, yes, we enter one riverbank as daddy, but the other is kind of this idea of a courtroom. I've never been in a courtroom where people got flippant with the judge, or if they did, the ruling was much stricter than they probably expected. Our approach in prayer is to remind ourselves that we, yes, our father, but also, man, I have no business being in his presence. He's in heaven. He's supreme. He is sovereign. 
And so while we approach this invitation with our daddy in mind, we also approach prayer with reverence and awe. We approach it with these two riverbanks of daddy and who am I to even be here? It's an incredible tension when we pray. Psalm chapter eight, verse three, the psalmist writes, when I, when I look at your heavens, when I, the, when I look at the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, verse four, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? There's that tension of, wow, I get to be in the presence of God. Who am I that God would even consider my request? It's incredible, yes? Two tensions in heaven. In heaven means ability. It's very similar to our father, right? Again, kind of the idea that heaven as creator, God has all resources at his disposal. He has the infinite ability and the disposal to disperse any resource as he sees fit to best display his glory at the time that he sees fit. God, see, what is God about? Well, God, God's about displaying his glory. So sometimes we're praying for something and our timing is all wrong, knowing that God, God knows the plan that will best elevate his glory in and through your life. And so with prayer, yes, we have access to God who is in heaven, who has all authority, who has all power, who has all ability to answer our prayers in the perfect timing to make sure that he is displayed and his glory is displayed through your life. In heaven means ability. In heaven means God is creator. God is creator and we're the creation. God sits where we do not. We'll never sit there. He's the creator and we're the creature. And when we approach him in prayer, in the attitude of our hearts, we remember, man, we are in the presence of the creator. Who, When he speaks, the cosmos comes into existence. In fact, we see this in Isaiah chapter 6 and I would encourage you to read Isaiah 6, maybe even before your small group, as we get this little glimpse into the heavenly throne room of our God. And this prophet Isaiah gets this small glimpse into the presence of God. And in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, which gives us an indication there's probably chaos on earth because this great king had died, and people were wondering, man, what's going to happen next? And we're sitting in a very similar world, right? You get up every day, and it just seems like more and more chaos. And maybe you're going, what's going to happen next? And it feels like it's out of control. In the throne room of God, it is not out of control, Okay? And so when you pray, there's a comfort in that too. Like God is sovereign, he's creator, nothing's happening. That He's like hand-wringing, like, oh my goodness, I didn't see this one coming, okay? And so Isaiah's clear, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. He was high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, just the very back end of the clothing of God was awesome, Right? And above him stood the seraphim. Now, these are angelic beings. And I want, I'm going I'm to come back to these guys. You've got to hear this for a minute, okay? Above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings. And with two, he covered up his face. And with two, he covered up his feet. And with two, he flew. And, they call, and the one called to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
Now here's my question this morning. Why are the angels covering their face and covering their feet as they're flying? What is going on there? Did you ever consider that? See, anytime anytime you read in Scripture and someone gets a glimpse of the backside of God, they fall down like dead men, right? And they cover up and they shudder. And I get it, right? The humanity is sinful and God is holy and he's without sin. Why in the world is the angel covering up? Because the angel doesn't have sin, according to my understanding of Scripture, right? So why is the angel covering up? The angel is covering up simply because he's the, create, the creature in the presence of the creator. And so there's this, this intimidation factor. Our Father in heaven, you're the creator, and I don't belong here. Even the angels understand the response they should have. And so if the angel who is without sin has an appropriate response to the presence of God, how much more should we, as both the created and the rebellious, as sinners, come into the presence of our Father who is in heaven with an appropriate attitude? And so then Jesus gives us kind of the all-encompassing thing of the character of God, our Father in heaven. Then he says what, church? You know what comes next, right? Hallowed what? Be thy name. Man, hallowed be thy name. At the root of hallowed be thy name is the idea of holiness. Holiness encompasses both God as Father and God as being in heaven. This is critical to our understanding of how we pray and how we live. Holiness is, is, is the, the character of God that is often repeated three times. We see that in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy. There's a lot of things that the characteristics of God that we can say. We can say love, 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 wrath, 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 mercy, 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 right? But the angels highlight holy, holy, holy. Holiness is, God at the, is God's character. In Leviticus 19, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am what? What's it say, church? I'm holy. What does it mean that God is holy? The word holy means to be separate. God is is separate in ability. God is separate in morality. God is separate in longevity. God is separate from your sin, and his character consumes sin. Let me tell you something. If 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 I could get you to do one thing today, it would be to park your mind for for just a moment on the holiness of God. Because if you never contemplate the holiness of God, you will never really understand your need for a Savior. You won't. If you never understand the character of God and his holiness, you'll look at the crosses, you'll you'll scratch your head and go, man, that's bloody and brutal. What's that about? God seems ugly to me. 
If you never contemplate God's holiness, you'll never understand your need for an intercessor as you come into his presence. You think you'll be able to come in your own name rather than the name of Christ. You're not going to treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ until you first spend some time meditating or thinking about the holy character of God. Our Father in heaven, man, you are holy. Hallowed be your name. I was talking to somebody just a couple weeks ago. They were giving me their litany of reasons about why they should go and be in heaven for all eternity. They told me all the reasons they were good. Listen, I know many of you here this morning and you're Christian, you understand your goodness doesn't get you into heaven, but we still kind of do this as Christians. We think, man, at the end of the day, I've been pretty good. And finally I said to this person, listen, God's demands for you are not to be good. Goodness does not get you into heaven. God's demands is for you to be perfect. And this person paused, well, nobody's perfect. Exactly nobody's perfect. You better con- You better meditate on that for a while because until you've come to grips with, man, I've done enough of this and I've done and I'm good and this and that, until you understand, man, I, am, I have rebelled in my heart and in my actions. I have born into a rebellious state to the God of the universe. Will you ever see your need to be saved from your sin? Here's what's amazing. If you read the scriptures closely enough, all of creation recognizes God's holiness. Like all of creation, everything that God's created, even his enemies. I mean, the earth, the physical earth trembles at the holy presence of God. Nahum 1.5. Some of y'all probably heard this song. There's been a song written about this verse recently. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth, it heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. The physical earth trembles at the presence of their creator, their holy creator. The demons Present, they, in the presence of God, they tremble. James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. But even the demons believe, and at least they're smart enough to shudder. And the angels of God, as we already saw in Isaiah, they, they bow in his presence. In Revelation 7, we get this little glimpse into the throne room of God Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. What did they do? They fell on their face before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. All of creation bows and trembles in the presence of the holiness of God. There's only one creature that is proud enough to think they can stand in the presence of God. Guess who it is? It's humanity. We, we think we come to God any old way we want. 
We think we can, we can develop the terms of salvation. We think we can develop the terms of holiness. We think we can develop the terms of righteousness. We think we can develop what is considered good and evil. We think we determine what is right and wrong. And you see that happening across our culture, right? We think we can redefine gender, sexuality, and the list, list goes generosity. The list goes on and on how we go, hey, God, we're just going to do it the way we want. We think we can develop what is just and unjust. And, and we have ignored the character of God is only humanity. It's only you and me that are proud enough to come in the presence of God and not tremble. And so here it is, ready? The greatest gift to all of humanity would be for all of humanity to hallow the name of God. And you're holy. The great, you know what this world needs above all else? You know what you need above all else? You know what this church needs above all else? It needs the supremacy of God and his holy name above all things. Hallowing the name of God is the greatest use of our effort and time. His name, God's name through Christ being hallowed or being considered as holy is the hope of the nations. I want you to hear that this morning. Because listen, you're going to get bombarded depending on the news channel that you watch that the hope of the world is something other than the hallowing of the name of God. You're going to be told that it's democracy. Democracy is the hope of the world. Eh. All right. No. See, you're sitting here this morning as part of the church that uplifts the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only way you're even going to, through the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of us and changing our minds, changing our hearts, that we understand the importance of howling the name of God. This is the hope of the world. It's not food. That's not the hope of the world. It's not stopping all the forms of injustice that we're constantly being bombarded with on the news, whether we should take a knee or not take a knee during the national anthem. Who cares? Let's hallow the name of our God. It's not education. It's not technology. All the good things about those things that we can talk about are, are, are just the overflow of the hallowing of the name of God. And when mankind has an appropriate fear and an appropriate understanding of God and his holiness and his awesome character, guess what happens next? When you understand that, then you understand the need for a savior. Then you understand the need of the savior's forgiveness. Then you understand the need for mercy and grace to help from this holy God. And when mankind relishes in the idea and the hope that God and his name would be hallowed and lifted up above all, it is then that we will stop trifling with sin and with lust and with entertainment and with greed. And we desire above all else to hallow and to worship God as father and as creator as the one who is in heaven. It is when we hallow and worship and we are awed by his presence. This is the greatest need of humanity. It is your greatest need this morning. 
And most of us, listen, we run through life so fast. And then when we, you know, the trouble comes and we're belly crawling through our attic and we go, man, I better pray. And we just kind of rush into God's presence, go, here I am. And listen, I'm really hurting today. We've missed that God is holy and our prayers are rushed and our life is rushed. And I want to encourage us as a church, man. So yes, we should pray this line. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yes, we should pray that line. But broader than that, our prayers should be slowed down enough to consider, man, yes, he's daddy, but he is in heaven. But the all-encompassing thing is he is holy. Hallowed be thy name. And when you pause and when you pray that way, when you understand our Father in heaven, that you're holy, I don't belong in your presence, I have no business being here. When you pray that way, then you will come understanding you, you belong, the only reason you belong in the presence of God is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is at that moment you go, I don't deserve to be here. I'm a sinner. I have rebelled against your ways. And what I deserve is your wrath, but your son took it on the cross for me. And so when we take the Lord's Supper or we consider the bloodiness of the cross, we understand, man, that's how much God hates sin, including my own. And Christ paid that debt for me. But he didn't, he didn't just lay in a tomb. He defeated all the enemies. So when we sing that song, I don't know about you, sometimes when we sing Lord of All, I'm like, your fire consumes them all. What are we, what are we talking about here? Already, what are the enemies of God? It's not people, it's powers and principalities. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil will be consumed by the Lord and they've been consumed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great news? So now when we pray, we have this understanding, man, I need the gospel of Jesus Christ and it is only because of Christ that I'm able to enter the presence of God. And so when we pray, we stop and we pause and we think about who we're praying to and we stop and we pause and we think about, man, why do I even belong in the presence of God? It is only because of the person and the work of God's son, Jesus Christ. This is your hope this morning. You have no other hope. I read Psalm 39 today. Sometimes I'm like, I'm, I'm too negative about life. And then I read Psalm 39. It says, a foolish man doesn't number his days. Like, like your life's an expiring contract. And then we need to consider our days. We better consider what our purpose really is and what our hope really is. And at the end of the day, it is that God, our creator, and his name would be hallowed on all the earth. Because until we hallow the name, consider the holiness of our God. It is only then that his will will be done. It is in that context that we need, see the need for our daily bread. It is in that context we see the need for forgiveness and have the ability to grant forgiveness. It is in that context that we plead not to be led into temptation, but to delivered from evil. And it's when we hallow, when we worship, when we ascribe worth, when we ascribe glory to God's holy name. And that can only happen with the gift of of his son, 
Jesus Christ being received personally into your life, which happens when you understand that you are a rebel sinner of God's character. And so when you pray, when you pray, my hope this morning is that you will be gripped with God in his name. And when you pray, it will be a broad understanding of our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. power of the Spirit will our lives exude worship and obedience and ascribe glory and worth to the name of our Father because He is holy. He is set apart. And your greatest glory, your, um, your greatest purpose will be found in ascribing glory to His holy name. Let's close with prayer. Who are we, O Lord? Who are we, O Lord, that you would be mindful of us? Why, O Father, do you you put up with our sinful and hard-hearted and rebellious ways? Even the demons have the sense to quake at your presence. God, if, if I could pray one thing this morning for Coastal Community Church, it's that we would have a new sense of your holiness, your awesomeness, your separateness. You're near enough to be Father. You're powerful enough to answer any prayer. But, oh God, you are set apart. Father, I thank you that we can enter your presence at any time, in anywhere, for any reason. But I am reminded this morning, it is only because of the incredible, generous, glorious gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. So once again, our prayers should capture us the glorious need of the gospel of Jesus. Oh, that we would be a people that are gripped the need of the gospel even as we enter your presence. And so, our Heavenly Father, as we pray this morning, come for the only reason we are able to be in your presence. We come in the name of your generous, gracious, awesome gift of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.